Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 204. Today is Sunday the 17th of July, 2016, and this interview, which was recorded on the 13th, is with Jeremy Goldman, founder and CEO of the Firebrand Group, a digital branding and marketing consultancy based out of New York City. This is the second time Jeremy's been on the show. He's also a two-time author, first with Going Social, and now, just released, Getting to Like, co-written with Ali Zagat. In this podcast, we discuss some of the tips and tricks for getting a social following, what executives and big firms should be doing about their personal brand, the implications for human resources and management, and a good deal more about branding and social media. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick, enjoy the show. Jeremy Goldman, back on the Minter Dialogue. Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Great to be with you. How are you doing? Uh, hanging in there. So tell us uh, who you are, as Mitch always says, what you do, and uh, remind us or tell us, where, what's your mindset these days, Jeremy? Yeah, so, you know, um, I am the founder and CEO of Firebrand Group, uh, author of Going Social uh, and Getting to Like, which is my new book that's out now, Congrats. Uh, which really talks about uh, having people build personal brands uh, and future-proofing themselves in their careers. Uh, and Firebrand Group is really working on establishing itself as a force, uh, force really in the nascent uh, future-proofing movement. Excellent. So how would you describe your mindset these days, Jeremy, as we talk on the, we're on the 13th of July as we talk? You know, yeah, so my mindset is actually, and we were talking about this a little bit off the air, um, you know, it, it's very, uh, I'm very excited, but at the same time, it's a, uh, uh, you know, a little bit uh, nerve-wracking when you're doing a bit of a pivot and a refocus uh, with your company. Um, some of the things that we've been doing over the years have been successful, but then we realized, you know what, we might be more successful if we focused and didn't uh, do 17 different things, and if we really focused uh, on a few things that we think we can do better than anybody else. So describe the the methodology you've employed to focus. How have you gone from 17 to whatever number you're on? You know, well, part of it is definitely it's a process, so we're right in the middle of it still now. Um, and uh, I, I think part of it is just the, fir- the first part of focus in a weird way is acceptance, you know, accepting that you're not focused. And I think that's a very underrated uh, thing to embrace. What do you mean? I have other things I'm thinking about? You're doing other things? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, there's like this, and this is why people almost make fun of academics. And I feel like you and I both have like a little bit of act- academic, but a little bit of a practitioner mindset as well. And that's why it's so important to marry these two because the academic is, is like sa- saying, oh, you should focus. And then the professional is like, well, does that mean I'm not going to pay my bills? Does that mean I'm not going to blog? Does that mean I'm not going to do all these other things? I mean, it, it, you're more practical when you're a professional. So I think really the key thing is is start almost nuke everything. Say you're going to focus in one area. And then when mission creep comes in, because it will happen, then at least cut it down. I mean, if you're going up against a company that's going to have twice the mission creep as you do, chances are you're going to win, even though you're an imperfect firm. All right, so how have you gone about, tell, if you can, tell us a little bit more about how you're going about getting to the, you know, you see so Tabirasa, start off again, 
And what's the process you've gone through? I mean, are you looking at, you know, what's most profitable, what you like to do, what you think you're best at, what do clients want, which, I mean, you know, there's so many things you can pull on to try and make yeah, a choice. Yeah, exactly. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's one of the things that's what interested me about getting to like is the fact that personal brands and corporate brands, they deal with the same issues in a lot of ways, yeah. right? So when we're talking about kind of refocusing, you have to think about a number of different things. And I think you alluded to a few of them, right? You uh, have to think about how lucrative is something because last I checked, uh, that matters. Um, you have to think about what your passion level is for a particular project or focus, right? So that's incredibly important. Um, and you also have to think about... Uh, you know, even geographic regions, who are your competitors? Uh, is there a lot of work in, in your area? Uh, do you have ways to stand out or is the market saturated? So all those different things, I think, really uh, matter a good deal. Well, presumably there's a little bit of heartbreak in all, in all of it because you're also going to have to let go of things you've liked to do. Maybe you have to let go of a client you enjoyed working with. Yeah, I think I think that there is, and I think that it's in some ways it's almost like ripping off the bandaid. Or uh, if you leave a job that is uh, imperfect but it pays the bills, you, th the problem is is that often people see the negative uh, because the negative is real to them, uh, but they don't see everything else. They don't see what's going to come down the line. So if you essentially fire. Uh, a client, right, or leave a job uh, without having another job, you know the negative. The negative's in the present, but you also don't know the positive that's coming down the pike right. and might be, you know, might wind up with a net positive at the end of the day. Right, because you know that you're, let's say, for sake of argument, minus 2%, but at least you're making 98. 98's coming in the door. If, yeah. you, if you swipe the, 90, the 100, you don't even know if you're going to get to 40, you know, in terms of rebuilding back up from the white sheet. Yeah. And, you know, there's um, there's something that Malcolm Gladwell obviously covered, which has gotten uh, so overwrought uh, at, uh, at this point. But the idea of how much you have to practice in order to get to be great at anything. Mm -hmm. And instead of focusing on that point in general, I would just say, like, it doesn't matter how many hours. Is it, is it 10,000 hours? Is it something else to be amazing? Uh, but in general, in life, if you divide yourself up among 17 things, uh, you know, most people don't want to find somebody who's adequate in 17 things. Most people have one specific thing that they need your help on. Uh, so all I care about and all I focus on is the future of marketing and communications. That's all I do. All right. So beautiful. This is the, this is the zone I wanted to get into with you, Jeremy, which is, uh, I, I did, um, I had a really long fun conversation with a great friend of mine called Jeremy Waite, works at IBM now. And, um, the conversation was around whether it's better to be, well, the, you know, the expression is master of, or jack of all trades, master of master none, none yeah. or jack of all trades, master of one. And we were talking about the need for pie-shaped or people have two uh, expertises uh, or are cone-shaped that have multiple expertises as opposed to just T-shaped where you just have the singular depth in one one zone. And, and so the issue there becomes, well, if my two, my pie-shaped, uh, form has two levels and now I need to be findable for those two. Actually, what's interesting about it then is really what, what does that combination of two do differently to find your, your golden spot? How does that feel for you? 
So that's really interesting in the sense that I think a lot of people don't, you're right. I mean, a perfect example would be content marketing, right? Uh, you know, let's say if you really love content marketing, but you also love uh, rhyming, okay? Uh, and you might say, well, you know what? I can't really do both because what am I going to do? Spend half my day content marketing and half my day writing poems? I don't really see how that's sustainable. Uh, and you know what? You might wind up if you kind of take those two disciplines and look at, imagine them as very far apart, then maybe you don't wind up being amazing at either. However, if you wanted uh, to go out and offer and focus on uh, infusing both of those into one another, so you do content marketing that is rhyme-based or poetic, right? If you did that, you could probably be the number one person in that niche in the world because I don't even know who does that. Um, and you've got the ability to be really good at it. So in some ways, and I think getting back to your point, uh, mashing these two different things together is your competitive uh, advantage. It becomes your individual stamp in any event. Exactly. I think that everybody has a few things that uh, make them who they are, and you have to lean into those things, mm -hmm. right? So um, that's why it's very important to make sure that you're not uh, – and I think a lot of people do this. They find somebody successful – and they essentially almost write down everything that person did, and then they say, I can be just like that person. And in fact, that's the number one way that you cannot be like that person, because the world already has one of them. And it's like playing a game of telephone or making a Xerox copy. Back in the old days, it was a low fidelity, and whatever you do is not going to be nearly as impressive as the first person. Mm -hmm. So why bother? And where this dovetails perfectly into the story of personal branding and future-proofing, is let's say I am going to be the expert in AltaVista SEO. So I'm, I'm going to get all my SEO hooked up, all my content is going to mention AltaVista a lot, and whoops, it turns out that wasn't a good bet. So the point is, in personal branding, let's say I focus and I have my T-shaped depth in this one space. The benefit of having multiple then becomes that you can actually pivot a little bit better. Maybe you move from one foot to the other foot of your pie because the other foot, the right foot, turns out to be a little bit stronger. You know, AltaVista has gone out of business. Now, at least I have SEO on the other side. Yeah, exactly. And I think often when people go into their stories, they don't necessarily realize that uh, there, there are almost these uh, supporting characters or supporting facts about your life that you can play up in the future. I know somebody who wanted to go from marketing to customer service, right? And they were saying, but I don't have any customer service jobs. I can't really pivot into that. And then by going through their job history, I found that there was a customer service related issue that they solved in their marketing guys uh, that led to something like almost a 50% decline in returns that this company had for their beauty product. So then I was like, why is this not on your resume? Why do you not talk about it? Well, this was about 2% of my time in the job, so uh, I didn't think it was worthwhile. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's, it shows you're capable of doing it, and it had a huge uh, return on investment for the company, and it tells the story you're trying to tell now. So often I find that people don't really dig hard enough to find the supporting facts to the new story they're trying to tell. Well, is it not necessary at a certain level? Because actually, at this point, at this stage in history in my life, I'm actually having somebody do the same thing for me. 
and and the, and the revelation is, and I'm working with a chap called Caleb Storkey, great partner, and hopefully co-author of my upcoming book. Uh, and Caleb has has given me some insights onto my past and what are some of the light motifs that have connect that connect the dots between all the things that have happened to me in my past to help bring out a little bit more of my my imprint that he thinks I should be putting forward. So anyway, shout out to Caleb. Uh, but secondly, the idea of getting somebody else to help you to navigate and find that that connecting story throughout as we get older of course we have so many more things <laughs> that we accumulate more bags and and yeah. and, and travel so um, I, yeah. go ahead so, uh, no go on i agree and i think that in some ways that baggage in uh old, in ancient times you know back to 15 years ago that would wind up being uh 100% a negative and, and now what i find is that you've got all these different ways to tell your story that you can lean into the baggage that is going to be most appropriate to lean into uh depending on what story you're trying to tell all right so jeremy i want to get in a little bit before we get into the nuts and bolts of um getting to like uh, the, so you decided to write getting to like with ali um, Zagat, a great name. And um, so I was interested, first of all, about uh, the choice of getting to like. So this is the name of your book, Getting to Like. Uh, I, I'm thinking that you must have had a bunch of discussions around that. Can you tell us how did you get to this? How did you get to getting to like as opposed to an alternative choice? Yeah, uh, the topic or the title? The title. Yeah, so getting to like, I think, is is one of those things where, especially when you're working with a publisher and Career Press has been really helpful with this, is they have a lot of uh, feedback as to what's going to work well with the market. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, they like that, obviously, there's a little bit of an allusion to getting to yes. One of the things that, and we workshopped it, a lot of people did like it. Um, one of the things I was concerned about was, will people understand that this is not about getting Facebook likes? This is about... Uh, getting people to like you, not just like you in general as an amorphous individual, but get to like you based off of the traits that you want to emphasize. You know, get to like you uh, based off of having a unique personal brand and not being a commodity out there because uh, the market is getting very commoditized and we want people to get to like you for your unique brand strengths. And uh, I think that that's really why we leaned into it. Well, all right, so could you so getting to love that wasn't uh, on the plate. Were there any what alternatives did you go and, and uh, rattle around? Oh, there were a ton, and I don't even think I remember all of them. I actually thanked uh, in the acknowledgments uh, some of my digital uh, networking community who uh, wound up, uh, you know, give, th throwing some uh, feedback uh, my way and giving some suggestions because we really tried to roundtable it a lot. And then ultimately, I think it, it, you know. Book cover design that becomes important. Yeah. Uh, the way in which you get the word out uh, becomes very important. So it's really a combination of factors that uh, that I think ultimately contribute to the success. I want to get to that in a second, but uh, secondly, so you you co-wrote this book, and as as uh, someone who has written a lot, co-writing is a very different experience to singular writing. Uh, so uh, tell us about your experience working with Ali, and how did you decide uh, to? How did you decide the workload? Yeah, you know, in some ways, it's it's a very interesting thing when you're working with somebody who's kind of new, 
uh, to collaboration. You know, we hadn't really done this before. Um, she, Elliot actually helped me get my first book going social ready for publication. Uh, and we worked well and we had known each other for years. So I think there's some good things about it. Definitely some bad. And I think a lot of it depends on your partner. You really have to make sure not just do I like this person, but do you, uh, fit well? And in a lot of ways, I would say we do fit well. Um, just to take a quick example is, you know, Ali's much better at editing than I am. I'm much better at getting a lot of content down on a page and getting in front of people to do interviews um, and promotion. And likewise, she's really great at taking that final, if I throw a lot of things down on page, she's very good at finding a wittier way to say. So she thinks in terms of, uh, and part of this is by being like a copy chief for um, big brands and, you know, big platforms. She's has a very uh, quick wit. And I think that that really helped uh, in, a, in a few places just to tidy things up and to make it uh, more approachable. All right. So in the stress of writing a book, there are many things. But when you're writing about getting to like, uh, it's almost part of the topic of what you need to do in order for people to buy the book. You need, oh, yeah. You need yeah, people to like the book. Yeah. So what kind of tactics or, or strategy you've employed to get getting to like out there in, in part yeah. of what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think really a lot of it is, uh, you know, when you're writing a book like this, you want to reach the right people and uh, not just the most number of people possible. That's very important. So so for us, we really tried to look at, um, you know, what are communities that can benefit from us uh, having discussions around topics like this? You know, co-working environments. You know, we've done a few events with co-working environments, and those have been very successful. Um, we've done things at, uh, you know, professional organizations where people are looking to brand themselves better. Uh, things of that nature have been very useful in getting the word out. Um, and again, I've, I've done some, a few, you know, mainstream media uh, pieces uh, tied to getting to like. But uh, the challenge is there. You get a lot better reach. But you know what? I want to say maybe 96% of the audience is not interested in building a personal brand, and that's fine. Um, you know, it, it's just better to – I would always prefer to get in front of less people but the right people. Uh, if you get in front of the right people and the message resonates and people learn uh, something from it, they're going to share it with uh, their peers. In, in your book, you talk about, uh, you know, everyone – well, basically everyone has an opportunity or maybe a need to get into to, – uh, personal branding or one of the areas I wanted to dig in on, which is uh, within the organization. So entrepreneurs, you know, speakers, people who are putting themselves out, it's an obvious situation, actors, so on. But if you're an executive in an organization, um, how does one go about crafting a personal brand at Big Blue? Yeah. So that's actually one of those things that uh, I, uh, you know, covered with Ali in the book where uh, you have to actually, if you're a senior executive, uh, you're not just out on your own. You're also representing a larger brand. And I think that in a lot of ways, you probably shouldn't be at a company where you uh, essentially inherently contradict uh, what they're trying to do. Um, that's very important. But at the same time, you're not them, right? They're, so, so, and frankly, by the way, all the research indicates that uh, brands that put a human face behind what they're doing are likely to be more successful anyway. So one of the key things is, and we've worked with, uh, 
you know, at Firebrand, we've worked at a, uh, actually with a few organizations who tried to build personal brands for, for their employees and let them stand out. Uh, you don't have to be a clone. You're actually, um, in a lot of ways, uh, respected more if you uh, are not a uh, 100% clone of your company, but you can't uh, essentially have the, the opposite traits. Um, and an example is a brand that evokes warmth, right? Uh, if that's what the brand is all about, and like I would say Zappos as an example, I mean, that that's why companies have programs like Zappos does to root out the wrong people right. and to have them leave sooner because they find out that they're essentially not going to be on brand. All right. Let's say that um, I, I run a, a large XYZ corporation and I want to hire you, Jeremy, to help me. I believe in this. I, I think personal branding is great. How do you sort of start the process with me? Uh, let's say I'm running the company. Yeah, so that's a good question. I think really part of it is to almost uh, first really, before you go into content marketing, uh, because I think everybody wants to go towards a point of like content marketing and thought leadership, I think even before that, what you really have to do is think about what are the core attributes that make you who you are. Um, and just to take an example, you know, I know we're just rolling audio, but I have my uh, pink teddy bear case, which highlights... Um, my uh, shoes, my pink shoes that I've got on now. And part of what I always do is I generally try to match my shirt shoes and my iPhone case. And it's a teddy bear case. And I've got 13 of them. And most people know this about me. And it's something that is important to me. Not that I love teddy bears, but it's a cue that I'm a little bit irreverent um, and that I take work really seriously but uh, I don't take life too seriously. So I think that that's something that's it says something about me. And I always want to try to make sure that with anybody who we're working with, uh, I want to make sure that we're finding those key attributes at the very beginning of the process and then figuring out how we lean into those uh, as we go on. All right. So that would be is regards to Minter getting out and his personal. So what is my teddy bear version? At the same time, what I'm looking at is you know, let's say I have an organization of 200 people or whatever, that um, I, I, I believe that they should be participating in this. How, how does one institute or, you know, get that, instill that into, uh, into all of them in a, in a way that makes sense and doesn't, you know, crash the business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I really like that. Um, I think that uh, you have to make sure, first and foremost, that you're very focused uh, in terms of what you're trying to accomplish and that it's not uh, uh, misaligned with what the, the company's trying to do. If you're a senior executive uh, at a large multinational uh, and, you know, your brand is uh, essentially you're, you're out there and you want to build a personal brand and you're talking about sports 80% of the time, um, well, maybe 20% might be more appropriate and you might love sports, but do you want to be known as the guy who just talks sports all the time? Now, if you do, uh, I guess you can do that on your personal time. But if it doesn't really benefit the company, then why are you doing it on uh, on company time? Now, if you're doing it 20% of the time and on company time, but then 80% of the time you're talking about things that are a lot more relevant uh, to your corporation and you're getting to be known for the person who knows a ton about mergers and acquisitions, you know, particularly in the UK and uh, Northern Africa, okay? That's like part of your brand. That becomes part of who you are. And if you want to talk about that all the time and then throw in a little bit of sports here and there, 
guess what? You just become a well-rounded human being who I want to do business with. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really what the, the key to this is at the end of the day. You mentioned uh, Zappos and Tony Shea, I suppose, in, in conjunction with that. I get my question at some level is, you know, if let's say I'm the HR director and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, all the risk. And I get my legal advisor telling me, but you watch out when Dial gets his ass in gear. He's going to start saying naughty things and he's going to speak too much about this and that. So a lot of negatives get, you know, flagged up. What are the types of advice do you have for someone who's you know overly worried if you will about trying to get into this kind of uh, opportunity i like that you said the overly worried thing because by the way i've been dealing with questions like this since um you know my time at l'oreal and jerleek and uh you know year like a decade ago um everybody is always going to be worried about something if you have a lawyer if you have a legal counsel their job is to protect you they don't get really incentivized to grow your company, uh, they get incentivized for the most part to protect it. Uh, so because of that, they're going to lead one way. It is important to understand that if you're not going to do this and if you're not going to have your senior executives talking out and building personal brands for themselves, which then become lead generation vehicles for you, um, then that's actually something that you have to concern yourself with because you're not going to be uh, the type of employer that the top uh, talent's going to want to go to, right? Uh, so you're going to be hiring second-tier uh, you know, personnel. That's not going to be that great. It's going to be a little bit harder to build your company because you have those second-tier personnel. Uh, and I guess what I'm saying is that it's a cost of doing business out there to let people have personal brands and to be out there. And yes, you need to have rules. You need to set guidelines for what people can say and what they can't. Uh, but you also have to let people be themselves because human beings want to work with human beings. They don't want to work at, uh, necessarily with corporations. And that's why when you have a friend at Coca-Cola who then moves to another firm, they might work with you again because it's all about the human relationships mm-hmm. and not just purely a relationship between you know one organization and a person. In listening to, you know, if I if I were, of course, I, I feel like I'm I'm totally aligned in in what you say. I think I can do lots of things to improve my own personal branding. But in one regard, if you're if you haven't started yet, and your name is John Smith, the challenge is is huge, and the time scale of actually building a personal brand is going to be extremely long. So long, in fact, that what the hell is the worth to do it? So. If I were to say, hey, listen, Jeremy, I need some shortcuts because, you know, I want to be top of Google uh, for John Smith next year. What do you say and how do you manage that? You know, I, th- I think the first thing is if you're John Smith, in all honesty, you should probably get going by John Q. Smith, John X. Smith, something else that's a little bit more protectable and unique. And it's the same reason why I tell people if they um, write the word strategist uh, in their resume, and then I've looked at 9,000 resumes and they all say strategist. Well, it eventually loses meaning. And that's the same reason why I hate the overuse of the word guru, which meant something very big, right? Or the word God or deity, right? Why don't you call me a social media deity instead of a, a guru? guru. Um, it's, uh, so it, it loses a lot of the power when you overuse things. And I think that... Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but uh, but but I think it goes back in a lot of ways to the idea of, uh, of focus. And I know you're saying, well, what's the concern if there's not an immediate return? Um, 
you know, there's uh, an immediate, I wouldn't say even forget about immediate return. There's a long-term negative effect on letting yourself be commoditized. Uh, and I think that that's uh, something that a lot of people have to be concerned about now. There's another mentor. There's another Jeremy out there. There's 7 billion plus individuals. And if you're all fighting more or less for the same you know, share of the global economic pie, and you can stand out from the crowd in a positive way, you've got a better chance of getting it. So yeah, it's going to take a while to get to the level of a Donald Trump or Kim Kardashian, God forbid. Um, but, uh, but, but, but it's worth it to build a strong, powerful brand, especially over time. And the other option is just to be a commodity. And we live in an upwork economy where people can just write in what they want and pay somebody somewhere else to do something for half the cost, I would rather stand out and say, no, you know what? I'm actually worth this, uh, something and this is what I'm worth and why. That, that's really what I say to people. Well, I, I, you mentioned in your book about the uh, contingent workers that are going to they're going to represent in 2020 60 million people in the United States, which, uh, which is really a number that stuck out at me. I was thinking uh, it would be great to have Dory Clark on, on with us to talk about this. Um, what about if I'm a parent and I have kids? So, uh, first of all, there's the naming convention. Should I go for, um, you know, Johila Maya Smith? Because my name is Smith, so I better give them a really weird, hard to spell, different to spell anyway, first name to improve uh, my brand. And secondly, should I be encouraging parents today to make sure their kids get their Twitter handle um, in early and all that? What would you say to that? You know, I mean, I think the part of the challenge is, well, who says that Twitter is going to be uh, right. dominant at that point, right? So, I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do to really future-proof yourself. And I think that... Um, and I, I really say that the strategy is more important than the parking, the real estate. That's important, but things uh, uh, move around. And I even had the example of grabbing a posterous URL uh, in my first book, Going Social, which came out at the start of 2013. Now, nobody talks about posterous anymore. A lot of people listening probably don't even know that it was essentially the other Tumblr, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it wound up not being successful. I had that in there. So the general principle of par uh, parking your real estate is important, but you don't know necessarily where you're going to have to park it in the future. The other thing that I'd say is really important to that um, is that when you're picking a name, when you're figuring out how to st stand out, uh, a lot of it is not just your own you know, first name, last name. It's all of the words that go around it, if you will. Um, you know, that that's actually very critical. So I think that, um, for instance, are you known as a digital branding expert and you only refer to yourself as a digital branding expert? Or in my case, you work on future proofing and exclusively that's your focus. Um, and then uh, the biggest challenge is that then people will try to throw you off of your path. Um, most people are not necessarily trying to help you. They're trying to help themselves. And um, they might want to hire you for one type of uh, work or another that's not actually in your, your long-term best interest. So really what I'd say is fight against uh, mission creep as much as possible. And I know it's very hard to do. I like it. Um, last question uh, before we wrap up, Jeremy. Can you delegate personal branding? Or maybe if I, do you get the question? I mean, alternatively, can you, if I'm a senior executive, should I be having my assistant or my PR agency or my comms team or whomever 
helping doing my personal branding? To some, to some extent, uh, I think you can delegate. Uh, delegate, yes. Uh, can you have a ghost that basically does everything as you? No, because ultimately uh, people want to speak to you. People want to hear your thoughts. Um, if you, for instance, have the best ghostwriter in the world who writes the best articles for you um, that are all about the future of the Internet of Things, okay, because that's what you want to be known for. And then as a result, you get uh, put on TV and you try to read up as much as you can, but you just don't come across that accomplished. Well, then you don't get new jobs as a result of that. You don't get new acclaim as a result of that. So I think it really has to stem from you, but then you've got to figure out ways to actually build your brand and to have the, the support structure in place. So, you know, with Firebrand, for instance, I do have, I have articles, uh, I, you know, that I have to write based off of interviews with people. I send them out for transcription, right? Now, is that delegating? Absolutely. Uh, it's somebody helping me run my personal brand more efficiently. I have people who help me edit articles, right? But the key thing is that there has to be a bit of me in there uh, because if, there, if you just outsource entirely, then eventually you get caught and you don't really want to be caught as a fraud. Uh, it all, all has to stem from you, but you can get help from others. That's totally fine. All right, last question, Jeremy. Sorry, I wanted to ask you this. It's mostly out of personal interest, as you mentioned before. You have uh, getting to light on Audible. Uh, the people, there are two people who are doing it. So I'm wondering the process by which you chose to delegate to them, Sean Pratt and uh, Marguerite uh, Gavin. Uh, is it because you had a male, female, because male, female co-writers? Tell me a little bit. Tell us how you went about that process with Audible to get those two people to do the, uh, the, the Audible version. Yeah, you know, uh, so the, the process really with it, and this is, I think, in some ways the nice thing about having a... Uh, you know, a traditional publisher is that they help you with things like that. So in the case of getting to like, uh, when we wanted to get uh, it, it put in, well, first off, we said it was actually going to be very important to put it into, uh, you know, an audio format. Uh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs who are uh, really busy and always running around. Uh, and, you know, they helped us basically uh, make that decision that it, that's how it should be. And actually, it's really interesting. Uh, when you have uh, good talent like we have, uh, working on the book with us um, and narrate, narrating the book makes such a huge difference. I've had books where I love one and it's by the, you know narrated by the author. The other one is not narrated by the author and it's just a little drier and right. um, the more professional. Right, it didn't quite get the the voice, if you will, and and this goes back to the whole entire idea of delegating and having right. other people build your personal brand. So, I mean, the fact that we were able to get people who reinforce the type of work that we were doing and not detracting from it is huge. So, um, the audiobook actually just launched, and we've had a lot of good uh, response to it already. So. You know, hopefully that'll continue. Seven hours and 31 minutes on Audible. So, Jeremy, how can someone track you down, get getting to like uh, or follow you? What's the best way? Yeah, best way is, uh, first off, if uh, you want to check out the book, gettingtolike.us or gettingtolike.us. Um, and that has links to buy at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all of that. And I am tweeting 24-7 at Jeremarketer, uh, exactly like it sounds, J-E-R-E, Marketer. Uh, and uh, yeah, I uh, love uh, having philosophical conversations about marketing and uh, the future and 
everything we discussed today. So uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. All right, well, hopefully some tips and tricks on how to future-proof everyone's career. Jeremy, thanks for coming online. Hey, thanks, Minter. Appreciate it. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. You mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas. Hold me tightly, slowly we would paint a lover's portrait with all.
Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.